We're going to the book of Matthew this morning, number 13, if you want to get a head start. The parable of the weeds and the wheat. We've begun a new series called Parables with Power. Parables are heavenly, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. They are not just some little fairy tale, but rather they are powerful delivery systems of the truth of God. There's an old southern spiritual says, everybody talking about heaven that ain't going there. Oh, my Lord. And I read about the throne, not everybody calling the Lord, Lord is going to see that heavenly home. And that's so true. Sadly, not every person who claims to be a real Christian is. The late Southern Baptist, colorful, great evangelist, said many church members have been starched and ironed, but never been washed. <laughs> and some of you ladies uh, that don't know what ironing and starching is, you'll have to look that up later, but... Uh, the new generation. Parables with power. Today we're going to talk about the tares or really weeds and wheat. This is a warning from Jesus Christ himself that we should make sure, no, we should make double sure that we are truly a born-again Christian. But in this parable, I think it's also a great word of comfort. It's not meant to make us scared, but rather to give us comfort and maybe perspective about the way life is today. Today we live in a tragic, tragic time when as never before we see people parading around under the name of religion, sometimes even Christianity, who brings shame to that which is good and righteous and even shame to Jesus Christ. And in this parable, God is giving us reassurance that in spite of all that, God is still in control. He's still the king of the kingdom of heaven. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the weeds and the wheat. Let's all bow our heads for the prayer. Father, we thank you for this great passage again, Lord. After I have read this dozens of times through the years and preached on it and heard messages on it, Lord, I thank you for the new insights that you have given me this morning. And for those that are here, Lord, who have heard or read this before, may you just give them fresh light. And for those who, Lord, perhaps are not so knowing of this, would you just burst into their spirit truths that would carry them along for years and decades, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's go to verse 24 of Matthew chapter 13. Let me read verse 24, and then we'll read the rest of them together. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven. I wanted to stop there and just remind us that we that are here this morning who believe the Bible affirm that Jesus Christ is still king of earth. It is a kingdom. And this is a kingdom parable. And yet, even though he's king, he allows Satan a certain amount of and limited freedom. It says, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. All right, let's read verses 25 through 30 together. Ready? Begin out loud. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, 
Then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He saith unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Parables. Why did Jesus speak in parables? He spoke in parables to add a mystique to the truth. Those that are motivated would get more out of it. You know what it's like when you search out something and find an answer. It just becomes that much more precious to you. But for those who were casual listeners and frankly didn't want to put the, the spiritual homework in, then it actually shrouded the truth. Kind of along the lines where Jesus said, I'm not going to cast pearls before swine, and neither should you. And so the parables, this parable, uh, is a parable again that you cannot really know apart from divine revelation. You can't just study the Bible and expect to know the Bible. You have to have a spiritual understanding. Now, this is a spiritual, this is a simple story up front. It's about a farmer who goes out and plants, finds out that there's weeds in there, and he just can't uh, separate the two, and it just destroys his whole harvest. And remember, Jesus is out on a boat. That's his pulpit. That's his platform. That's his place to preach. They're probably got their hands on the side of the boat. Several men are standing in that warm sea of Galilee water. And there he is. He is preaching. I'm sure it must have uh, taken quite a loud voice to get above, maybe not big waves, but at least the sound of the outside and the waves that were there. And so Jesus was speaking these wonderful stories. He had them listening to every moment. Here he talks about a wheat farmer. This man did a good job. He was a good farmer. Remember, Jesus Christ now is the planter, so this was a good farmer. He planted some wheat, goes back home, and then he and his servants get to sleep. That wasn't because he was lazy. It was because he was tired. And when you've worked hard, you deserve some good rest. In the book of Psalms, God says, He giveth His beloved sleep. Now, I know that was cut short a little bit today. And by the way, if I kind of look a little bit cross-eyed, it's because I was afraid I was going to oversleep. So I got up an extra hour and an hour. So I got up two hours early this morning. You'd have to understand my brain. But anyway, um, so he slept this wheat farmer, he slept. His servants slept. I've heard preached before that this sleeping was a sign of them, uh, you know, not doing what they were supposed to do. I actually don't see that in Scripture. I think what he's saying was he, he uh, had a right to sleep, he, uh, but there was a sabotage that took place. He was restfully sleeping, and then during the night, the evil one came along and threw weed seeds out into the wheat. It was terrible. Now, why would a person do such a thing? Well, if uh, it doesn't take a lot of weeds to destroy a, a harvest. I mean, it can be maybe 5% or 10%, but even that much could seriously hinder the quality of the wheat, even 
be poisonous because actually we're talking about here, these tares are actually uh, known as the Darnell weed, which is noxious, which is uh, poisonous. And so even a little bit could actually destroy the entire amount of good. Well, um, it, once the, they grow up, they can't really see it at the beginning. It looks just like wheat. Don't know that anything's bad. Every day that farmer goes out there, looks at his uh, crop, finally starts coming up, looking better and better. And then all of a sudden, at a certain point, he realizes that there has been this terrible amount of weeds that have gotten into his wheat harvest. He is so upset. Verse 37, he answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples now. And he said, look, Jesus Christ, the son of man, by the way, that typifies his humanity. He is the son of God, but he is the son of man. He is 100% God, but thank God he is 100% human. He shed human blood so that he could take my place. He is the son of man. He is a good sower. The good seed, the field is the world, verse 38. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Born and planted by Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I have been planted here. The time that I live, the place that I live, I have been planted here by Jesus Christ. He has put me here. The evil enemy, verse 39, that sowed the noxious darnel weeds, the bad weeds, is the devil himself. The devil is trying to destroy the crop and never mistake it, my friend. The devil is out to destroy every church, every family, every marriage, every Christian. Now, uh, verse 38, it says that the weeds represent the children of the wicked one. Now, it is not politically correct, but the fact is not everybody who lives in the world today is a child of God. In fact, not even all religious people. In fact, not even all people who call themselves Christian. Jesus in John chapter 8 said that there's only two people. There's either children of God or children of the devil. He remember he said to that group of Pharisees, he, says, he said, you are of your father, the devil. That's it. Children of God and children of the devil. And that's what this is saying here. You're either wheat or your weeds. Now, I have used this story so many times over the years as I've been out and about different places. I especially use it when somebody who is very religious or at least a good person, they think themselves to be probably uh, most likely earning of heaven. And so I would tell them this story. I would say, you know, there was this farmer and they, they love to hear the story. And then I would tell them how that there's weeds that look just like wheat. But in the end, they find out that they're weeds. What are you? Now, there are three major truths I see in this passage. Let's look at them. First of all, the sowing of the weeds in the wheat. Who did it? Who was the one who sowed the weeds? It is clearly the work of Satan. Look at verse 39. The enemy, the enemy, he is our enemy. Never make friends with the enemy. We are to pray against the enemy. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. And I think this tells us something how Satan works. His greatest work, his most efficient work is that of counterfeit or imitation. Ezekiel tells us that Satan's burning ambition 
from day one as Lucifer is to be like God. And so we learn something up front here that Satan is not against religion. Now, of course, he's against pure religion, as the book of James says, but he is the deceiver. And so he actually has tares that look like wheat. I mean, honestly, the best advertisement for the devil is a weed that looks like wheat, not a weed that looks like a weed. You know, we have to pull weeds over here. You pull weeds at your house. And, uh, but most of the weeds, thank the Lord, they actually look like weeds. And so you have to get them out of there. But boy, when a weed looks just like grass, for example, man, it is just almost impossible. Someone once said, not sure who said it, man's capacity for self-deception is unlimited. And I can tell you, after talking to thousands of people personally, you name it, religion has deceived people. Show this picture, please. When we were in Vanuatu, we came upon these people who, these uh, dear precious people, they actually worship Prince Philip. You can't hardly see the picture there, I'm sure, but uh, in the 70s, Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth visited the island of Vanuatu, New Hebrides, I think, back then, and uh, they were so taken by the royalty that they actually began a new religion. It is the worship of Prince Philip, and so they, and they have their little huts there, and they have these pictures. It's crazy. They, we, no matter where we went, uh, no matter what jungle, no matter what little hut we went to, there was somebody worshiping something. And they were, one place we went, we're worshiping some fella in Australia. And I will tell you this, folks, man's capacity for self-deception and religion is unlimited. And so Satan's greatest advertisement is when weeds look just like wheat. Religion is his greatest advertisement. Who did it? Satan. Number two, why did he do it? The Bible says an enemy hath done this. That means he is actively hateful. He hates anything to do with God, anything that he can do to hinder God, to hurt God, he will do. Ever since the Garden of Eden, he has done everything he can to somehow pull God from his throne. But we need to realize that Satan's hatred of us is not really focused at us. It is focused at God. His real battle is with God. And in this unholy war, he will use us as a pawn no matter what. He hates God, but he can't get at God, so he gets at the one that God loves. He hates us. So he hates us because we point out who he can never be. We are hated by Satan because God loves us. We are hated by Satan because we remind him of our heavenly father. The sowing of the tares. And so the sowing, Satan, he's the one that's behind it. He is behind all of this false religion. He is behind this, uh, this uh, false righteousness, the sowing. And then number two, we find the growing of the weeds in the wheat. How does it grow? Now, the fact is they grow and look so much like wheat. It's basically absolutely impossible to tell the difference. People who are actually good farmers over there in the Middle East can look at a wheat and a weed and in the beginning stages, almost impossible. I mean, just nearly impossible. They look the same, have the same growth. It's not until they mature. And then the wheat begins to get the little kernels. 
It actually turns a different color, and it begins to kind of weep over. But those, uh, uh, the funny thing about the weeds, they just get, they just are strong, and they just uh, stand their heads up. Counterfeit. The best counterfeit actually looks most like the original. And so Satan's uh, greatest work is a counterfeit. I was reading up on some of the counterfeits things going on in the world today. And as we know today, we live in a day where, I mean, you've got to have your wits about you every minute. If it's not somebody calling you on the phone, it's somebody, a few weeks ago, someone called and left a message on my phone that the IRS wanted me. And boy, I mean to tell you, they were going to do this and they were going to do that. And uh, we were out together on our little date day on Friday and somebody left a message for Pauline that uh, she had done something bad and that they were going to report her to the cops. <laughs> I thought, honey, you know that's wrong because they called them cops. And, uh, and anyway, but I mean, it's, you got to be about your wits all the time. But counterfeit money, it's unbelievable what's happening. I read about one fella in um, England who uh, was able to, with the use of car paint and uh, a special kind of paper he had gotten from Switzerland, he was able to counterfeit a hundred million, what would be a million dollars in our uh, currency, a hundred million. They said he counterfeited so much, it actually threatened to undermine the actual economy of Great Britain. Just unbelievable. I read about a guy here in America who printed 10 million, actually got it out into the currency. He would uh, sell it uh, for like 20 cents on the dollar to bad guys. But he, he printed $10 million worth of uh, currency from equipment he got at Staples. <laughs> He'd get an ink printer, he got some paper, and he uh, got it all from Staples. Printed $10 million. Now, I don't want anybody to get any ideas here. I mean, I want to finish that new building, but I'm not ready to do that. And, uh, but counterfeit, you know what? The best counterfeit looks just like the original. And that's what God's telling us here. Be careful, because they look just like the original. First of all, there's a counterfeit Savior, we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 4. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, which we have not preached, that's got to be one of the most terrifying phrases I've ever heard. Another Jesus. Paul has a spiritual heavenly father, or excuse me, an earthly father, a spiritual earthly father was concerned for his children. He was saying, be so careful. If somebody comes along and they are another Jesus, they're going to lead you into something that's going to be so terrifying. And folks, we have another Jesus. There are a lot of churches named the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day or the, the Church of uh, Jesus Christ or the Church of this. Or, and so often they use the name church and so often use the name Jesus. It always uh, gets a hold of my spirit because I always feel like that's so tragic that they actually use the name of Jesus in a false gospel. We get literature, we see it on TV, we get it on the internet, we hear it on the radio, no matter we, the internet that comes across us, but someone will give me a tape and say, pastor, listen to this, or a CD and say, listen to this. And you know, at first it kind of sounds pretty good. Pretty soon you're like, you know what? Something's just not right. It's just too slick. And uh, that's why I don't drink smoothies, because it's just too smooth, you know? And uh, some of these gospels, they're just too smooth. 
for the real thing. There's a counterfeit Savior. Be careful. There's also a counterfeit spirit, according to that verse. If he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, a counterfeit Jesus, if, we have, if he receive another spirit, which he have not received. This is very popular today. Another spirit. So many times we meet people who say, well, I don't, can't say I go to church, but I'm a spiritual person. Other people say, you know, I don't, I'm not really a, into church. I'm not into organized religion. I talked with a fellow a couple weeks ago. He said, I'm not into corporate church. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world does that mean? But anyway, but, but he was said was, I'm a, I've ha- I have spiritual experiences. Well, you need to be careful about that. If you are into spiritual experiences, but not into God's church, then I wonder what's about ready to happen. The fact is having a spiritual experience. I don't care how beautiful it is. I mean, folks, uh, I know enough about the way things work in this world that you can actually create an emotional, spiritual experience. You can dim the lights. and You can have candles. Nothing wrong with dim lights. Nothing wrong with candles. You can do this and you can do that to elicit an emotional response. My friend, that is a spiritual response, but not especially a Holy Spirit response. And we are told that it actually ends up being a counterfeit. You'd say, well, they do some good. Yeah, well, of course. Good can happen, but it's not the right good. You take a counterfeit $20 bill. You take that $20 bill. Think of all the good things you can do with that $20 bill. You could go buy some eggs, or you could buy some milk, or, you know, on my Volkswagen bug, I could practically buy a half a tank of gas for that $20. And now you can do a lot of good with $20, but when you take it to the bank, those who know will tell you that is nothing but false and it will be burned. So it might do good, but in the end, it is not accurate, it is not right. And before the judgment bar of God, people may do good, but then when they stand before God, they find out that it's not actually correct. And I want you to notice verse 25 for a moment. Notice where the enemy and how the enemy sowed. It says he has sowed among the wheat. Among. And it's an interesting phrase. It's a very, very strong Greek phrase there. And what it means is, is that he put it everywhere. It's not like, you know, just a couple of weeds, but that the weeds were sowed everywhere. It's a, it's a strong, it says, among the wheat. And in some places you go, you'll find that the weeds have pretty much overtaken all the wheat. You f- drive up here to Provo, Utah, and you'll see all these very nice-looking, very clean-cut uh, people walking around. All of a sudden you realize that you are in a land of almost 100% uh, weeds, and, but they look like wheat. I remember walking around uh, the mall one time about 20 years ago or so in Provo, Utah. We there walking in a mall, and I mean, it, I felt like I was in this uh, twilight zone place because everybody had a big smile on their face. They were just walking along. I thought, are these all androids, or what are these people walking along, you know? They're just, every one of them were smiling. They all were, looked real nice, Go to the mall in Stockton. It didn't look like that. I'm not saying anything. I'm just simply saying, folks, you go to Provo, Utah, it doesn't look like that. 
But I'll tell you one thing, they're no more saved in Provo, Utah than they will be saved here. The fact is, they were sowed among, and it's disheartening. The fact is, God is saying that it is not only disheartening, but folks, we need to realize it is to, God's not trying to make us have fear, but just to warn us. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. In the last days, men shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. God doesn't want us to panic. He just wants us to prepare our minds for the fact that, folks, not everybody who puts a little cross on their forehead and walks around on Ash Wednesday is a wheat. No matter how pious they may look on the outside, and I'm not throwing stones at any group today. It could be Baptist. I don't care what it is. No matter who we think we are, counterfeit gospel or a counterfeit Savior and a counterfeit spirit is not going to pass at the judgment seat. The sowing of the tares, the growing of the tares, now really the balance of the message, the knowing of the tares. We've seen how they've been sowed. We've seen how they have grown. Now, how are they known? Well, now, uh, it makes sense, really, from a human standpoint, to those that are not very accomplished in farming, they would say, well, man, let, let's get these wheat, let's get these weeds out of here. Let's chop them up. Verse 30. No, the farmer says, you have to let them both grow until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather them up. Now look at verse 40. We'll read verse 42. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fires, so shall it be in the end of this world. That's just the end of the age when the rapture comes and then we have the tribulation. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and cast them into the furnace of fire. And there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, why does God tolerate the tares? Why doesn't God just burn them up? Why does God tolerate counterfeit Christianity? Why does He allow weeds to live among the wheat? That's because God wants us in the world. He doesn't want us to be isolated from the world, but insulated from the world. He wants us to have protection when we go out in the world, but He want us, doesn't want us to live someplace where we never contact the world because we're His salt and His light, and He needs us out there. And the interesting thing about wheat is this. You know, wheat really has a very shallow root system, and it it can be plucked up quite easily. That's because it knows that this world is not its home. And it puts those little uh, roots into this world very lightly. And then when the time for the harvest, boy, it just comes out. And that's what God wants us to remember that, you know, we're not here for very long. And the reason that He doesn't take the weeds out, not because He isn't powerless, because the harvest is not ready yet. Look at verse 14 of Revelation 14. And I looked and behold a white cloud. And upon the clouds sat one like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and listen to this, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The fact is, God is saying it's not harvest time yet. And that's why God hasn't put the sickle into this earth. God says, let them grow. Really, let them grow? Why would God let the wicked grow? 
Look what he says in Revelation 22. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Now, Revelation 22 is really just reminding us that when the end comes, there's no more choices. Those that have been wicked, they can't ever become righteous. Those that are holy, thank God, they'll always be holy. When I've been there 10,000 years, I'll still be shining as the sun. And so Revelation 22, the main interpretation of that is God's just simply saying, in eternity, there's no change. But I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said this, he said, hell's door is locked from the inside. Those that are in hell want to be in hell. Those that are filthy want to be filthy. Those that want to be righteous want to be righteous. God is reminding us that our job as wheat is not to eradicate sin, but to evangelize sinners. We're here in this world and we say, well, we ought to do something about all the sin. We ought to do something about all the weeds. God said, you can't. Your job is not to do something about the sin. Your job is to do something to try to make a tear become a wheat. Be a good wheat and be strong. The interesting thing about weeds and wheat is this, that at first they don't look any different. But the more they mature, the deeper that uh, and the longer that wheat uh, lives and the more mature that wheat gets and the more fruit that it bears, then we begin to see the difference. Maybe there's hope that the weeds will see that they're not the same. And God's point here is this, that we should remember that our job is not to go out like the crusaders did back in the day. And, you know, we're going to turn everybody to Christianity and eradicate sin. Look, I'm all for passing moral legislation. I'm all for doing what we can to protect others. But friends, ultimately, our job in a city is not to do, is not to go out there, make sure nobody takes drugs. My job is not to go out there and to make sure there's no prostitutes on the street. That's not my job. My job as a born-again child of God, as one who is wheat, my job is to evangelize sinners, not to eradicate sin. God said, you're going to have to let them go to the end. At the end, there's going to be a harvest day. There are two thoughts that I would leave with you in this, in this, um, in this particular point, and that is this. We should not despair because the evil crop is ripening, yes, but thank God the good crop is also ripening. But there are those who say, well, boy, look at all the evil. And the answer is yes, there is a lot of evil. But thank God there's also a lot of good. There are many that are ministering and blessing others. And thank God they are doing a good thing. So why would God let the wheat just stay there? Why would God let the wheat be there and, and just continue on? Because God has a blessing for that wheat, and he, he wants us to see it. Now, every year I live, every year and then every decade that goes by, I look back and the blessings keep piling up. Now, I know that with a lot of people you've influenced or a large family, there's a lot of exposure out there and there's a lot of heartache potentially, but there's also a lot of blessings. And I think one of the reasons God keeps the wheat here is because he wants the wheat 
to see the blessings that his life has been. And that's the point God is saying here is that I think of all the people who've made a difference in my life, there are Sunday school teachers that looked at me and said, Tim, you're going to be a preacher. And I remember back then thinking, that is a lesson I'm going to be, I'm going to tell you right now. I remember my seventh grade, eighth grade teacher telling me that, no way, that's not me. And, but, you know, thank God for that precious lady and who taught us and for those men who taught us and my pastor, my dad, and others who've made a difference in my life. And then all the people over the years, you know what, they're seeing the blessings. And God doesn't, God doesn't make us go home. He lets us just see those blessings come and come because harvest day is coming. What he's saying here is that he allows the wheat to grow and just see all the good. But the same thing is also true about the evil. Sometimes people say, do you think the world's getting better or worse, pastor? The answer is both. It is getting better. Look at the things that are being done for Christ around the world. I mean, there are things that are so amazing. It's just, I get excited when I see some of the things, the innovative ways and the, the, the reach that others, and even our own ministry. I mean, I just, I get so thrilled about what I see God doing and the lives that he's touching. And it's amazing to watch people just give and sacrifice. And the, the miraculous is being done right here on this campus. And I thank the Lord for it. There's so much good being done. But at the same time, is the world getting worse? It is. Is the world getting better? Parts of it are, but the world is also getting worse. And I think that's what he's saying here. The wheat is growing stronger. The wheat is getting better. The wheat is getting more mature, but the tares are also getting more mature and the tares are getting also more uh, poisonous. I mean, unspeakable, unmentionable filth and degradation goes on worldwide today and in America. Who would have ever thought that just a few years ago that lawmakers would stand and cheer because a resolution is passed that if a baby is born alive, they can kill it because the mother has that right. Democratic lawmakers in the state of New York stood and cheered because now we have a right to kill a baby born alive. Who would have imagined such a thing in America just a few short years ago? And the filth and the tears are getting worse and worse. But my friend, thank God, also the wheat are getting better. You'd say, well, what's going to happen? The Bible says, verse 42, he's going to cast them into a furnace of fire. And there is no death worse than burning. I mean, there's no pain worse than a burn. And God is saying it is going to be a terrible day for those. Don't despair. The evil crop is getting worse and is ripening, but thank God also the wheat is getting better. The weeds are getting worse, but the, thank God the wheat is getting better. And second of all, don't take refuge in the fact that judgment has not come. Now, some weed may say, well, what's the difference? I mean, you always talk about Jesus, you talk about heaven, you talk about hell. Many people today even mock all that. The fact is, don't rejoice, don't get proud, because I'm telling you, that day is a sad day for you to imagine that, well, it's not going to be any problem for me because, uh, 
you know, I'm as good as the next person. He might say, well, you know, I even listen to a message. I remember one man I talked to, he said, boy, I like so-and-so on TV. I said, yeah, he's got some good things to say. He said, but, I, boy, but when I got to know this person more closely, I realized he didn't have a, uh, he didn't have a clue what it meant to be a born-again Christian. He had no idea. But he actually was an upstanding person, actually was a moral person. But he was, it would sure appear he was a wheat. And then there are wheat. And so he, uh, we, the, but that weed thought he was a wheat because he liked the message. He even liked the Christian music. And that's the deal about the weeds here. The Bible says they grow. They actually change. They actually mature. They actually get stronger and better. And so because someone is good and because someone is upstanding and because they actually look like wheat, they might imagine themselves to be okay. But the Bible says, don't fool yourself. And I will say, if you're here this morning and you think, well, I'm, I'm sure I'm wheat, or well, at least I think I'm wheat. But I would ask you the question, are you sure? Thank God you, sh- you can know and you ought to know because you can deceive yourself. You might deceive your dad, your mom, your husband, your wife, your children. You can deceive your pastors. But I will tell you this, and you listen closely to, you, to your pastor, you will never deceive God because the Bible says the end day is coming. And when the end day comes, the Bible says the angels will come in and they will reap the harvest. And at that moment, there's no second chances. At that moment, you, can, you may be able to do it all the way till then, but that day is coming. And I close with two things. I didn't put in your notes, but I'll just give it to you. Number one, two ways that I want you to leave this message. Make certain that you're not a counterfeit Christian. Just make sure. And I think that's the, the thrust of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Make sure you're not a counterfeit Christian. How do you do that? 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine himself. Whether you be in the faith. Now, I don't think we ought to especially doubt your salvation. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. But I do think there are indicators, red flags, as it might be. You know, one thing about wheat is, it's interesting. Wheat, when it matures, it has fruit. It has kernels. Wheat, when it matures, it bows its head. It bends. It becomes humble. One of the ways I think you know you're real wheat is as the older you get, the more fruit that you really have behind you and the more humble we become. It's an interesting thing. The older I get, the more I realize, thank God for His grace. Man, thank God for His grace because I don't deserve heaven one bit. I just thank the Lord for His mercy, my often mistakes and my often failures. And I think that's what happens when you're weak. I'm not trying to act like I'm a great person here. The fact is, when you become wheat, you become, you bow your head. They, they kind of bend over. They, they become full of fruit. I want to look back over my life and say, Lord, I think, I thank you for the fruit you've given me. And so I would say, first of all, make sure, make certain you're not a counterfeit Christian. I think there's some indicators. Do you love the Bible? Do you love going to church? Do you love the things of God? Do you love giving to God's kingdom? I mean, these are all things that characterize a Christian. You love to serve God. You love to make a difference for God. Make sure that you're not a counterfeit Christian. Make sure that there's fruit and there's humility. Number two, not only make certain that you're not a counterfeit Christian, but make certain that you don't let a counterfeit Christian keep you from going to heaven. 
And I think that's what this story is saying. Your wheat, your weeds, your wheat, your weeds. Weeds may think, well now, um, look at so-and-so over there. They're, they say they're a Christian, but I know how they live, okay? Just because there's a few hypocrites in the church, don't allow a hypocrite to keep you from heaven. Don't spend eternity in hell with all the hypocrites because you are tired of the hypocrites in church. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. Point your eyes on Jesus. God wants us to keep our eyes on immortality, not mortality. Keep our eyes on the divine, not on the human. This interesting thing about the world that we live in, so many things in this world, the creation and nature teach us about God. I always loved to see the different things that teach us stories. One of the things I read this week was about the difference between a coral snake and a king snake. They actually look quite similar. The coral snakes are very prolific in North America, but you don't see them very much because they're very elusive, not very big, but they're extremely venomous. They are very brightly colored, but the interesting thing is they look almost exactly like a king snake, which has no venom, and it is harmless other than scare you to death. But you know, they may look the same, may have a very similar life, but the end is quite different, and one is poisonous, and one is not. And the two are very different. Wheat and weeds look very similar, but in the end, there's much difference. And so I would ask you this morning to just say to yourself, Am I a born-again Christian? Do I know that? Do I have those indicators? If not, then right now, let's make sure that you make that decision for Christ. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer, if you would. Heads